Hello, welcome to Recruitment in the Modern World. In this episode, we focus on the topic of how to manage the risk of counter offers. To discuss this, I am pleased to have with me Fiona Wilson, Managing Director of FJ Wilson Talent Services. Welcome, Fiona. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Excellent. So, diving right in, how can a hirer, to begin with, really assess the risk of the candidate receiving and accepting counter offers? Because this can come from, you know, their current employer or other potential hirers. Yeah, this is obviously a really big area. And regardless, I think, of what's going on economically at the moment, the situation is still going on in areas that are in short supply for candidates and for specialist roles. So I think the key message that we want to give out to listeners is that regardless of the current pandemic, the deep recession, any impact that Brexit is having on businesses, counteroffers is still absolutely taking place, particularly for specialist and senior roles. So in answer to your question, I think there's a couple of things. It's firstly taking a big step back and figuring out, have you done actually a bit of a risk assessment of the context for your particular vacancy? So just as I mentioned before, are the candidates in short supply Mm -hmm. for your particular vacancy? And the second is around ensuring you have built into your recruitment process the ability to understand your candidates, plural, motivations from, from the beginning. I see. And um, so really just, you know, looking at the risk assessment of the marketplace and then understanding the candidates you're working with, which Mm -hmm. I guess brings me to the next question, which is around reducing said risk. What is the main thing a hirer can do to reduce the risk of a candidate accepting a counteroffer? Yeah, I mean, the risk of a counteroffer is ultimately greatest when the candidate's current remuneration is close to the Uh, sort of budget for your particular vacancy. So Mm. reviewing applications from candidates in this situation, of course, is really key. And also understanding if whether there is a strong enough motive to leave their current employer. And the risk of counter offers is also really large when the remuneration being offered is out of kilter with market rates. Mm. So it's ensuring that you benchmark your salary range against other players in the market and where candidates are in short supply it's making sure that you have again up front of a process the tactics that you can roll out to really move very quickly from a turnaround perspective so in terms of what the main thing a hire can do to reduce the risk of a candidate accepting a counter offer I think does move back to understanding your candidates' motivations from from the beginning. So the way that you can practically do that is making sure that you have a two-way dialogue with the candidate. If you're employing a recruiter or using an in-house recruiter, the best way to do that is before the first interview is to have a pre-screen session. So a two-way dialogue where in that first conversation, you take the time to really understand the candidate's goals, their dreams, Mm. their passions, their frustrations. And it's really determining why they want to leave their current company and what they're looking for in the next step in their career. And likewise, Shara, earlier on, you were saying, of course, counter offers 
cannot just come from a, their current employer. It could be that they're, for example, they've just taken VR voluntary redundancy. So actually they are freely available, but they could be getting alternative offers from mm-hmm. other employers. So again, taking that time to really understand what they're looking for in the next step in their career is absolutely key and making sure that there's that human honest interest in the candidate's story will start the journey of developing um, buy-in and that psychological contract with you as a potential employer for for that individual. Definitely so I'm hearing you know having that two-way dialogue it's it's really all about being human and and really what it boils down to is that engagement Right. Yes. And it's almost like what comes to mind is developing a sales approach, mm. so to speak, to the recruitment process. And just going back to something you mentioned earlier, which is remuneration. Mm. Is it always about remuneration at this stage? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. I think that it can be. It boils down to, again, you need to assess and establish what, of course, are the most critical things for that particular individual. You've got to establish why the candidate is interested in the vacancy that you have, why the candidate is interested in moving between employers, if relevant, or what they're actually looking for from a fit perspective if they're not currently employed. And of course, part of that pre-screen and that dialogue is understanding what the candidate's salary expectations are and having a discussion to make sure that you've got to understand where remuneration features in the drivers for that particular candidate. So, of course, if that is the first and foremost and your budget is beneath the market, then you probably will have a a challenge if that candidate is offered somewhere else. And going into that a little bit more, what about, you know, after that initial flurry of communication, say, is there anything more they can do? I mean, like, for example, the offer has been accepted. What does the hiring manager do if there's a, say, three-month gap between when the offer has been accepted and then the start date? Is there any more they can do to keep the client engaged? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, again, that's a really good question. And as you rightly point out, notice periods, particularly for specialists and senior candidates, can fall into that typical sort of three-month period. That's a long time for a candidate who has um, accepted an offer to still be targeted by approaches for other roles, either via recruiters, in-house teams, or indeed see, see job adverts with mm. potential temptation if they are better. So the key thing, of course, again, goes back to making sure that you have at all times really established what's important to that candidate and that you continue to develop that buy-in. So once an offer is accepted, the buy-in still needs to be developed. It's a bit like thinking of when that person starts an induction. Hmm. You're trying to, of course, give the best orientation to that new employee, but also make sure that they do have a professional opinion of you as a new employer and you as as a manager. So that process can obviously start um, from the point of acceptance. Mm -hmm. We would always encourage and are happy to sort of set up and organise 
pre-start meetings, those of course now can be absolutely virtual. Clients can send out, if they want something quite cutesy, they could send out some (laughs) tea, coffee and biscuits or just simply organising a stated like a coffee, a coffee catch up is absolutely fine and goes down really well. I think it's about, again, dialogue. You don't want to be intrusive if someone is working out their notice on a senior and demanding specialist role. Uh, So again, finding a time out of hours, Mm. you know, sort of late afternoon. Again, it's about being uh, flexible to make sure that that engagement is maximised. Most candidates who are serious about their next move absolutely lap that up. They want to continue the engagement. They don't want to be in a scenario where there's radio silence post offer before they start. And again, unfortunately, the majority of candidates would feed back that that is the case. So Mm. after they've filled in the initial paperwork and done all their references and et cetera, often what they experience is zero communication (laughs) until one or two working days before they start. Mm. What's best is for there to be a thought out engagement plan. So again, another practical takeaway is to think what you can do as a hiring manager to get that sense of inclusion and engagement deepened during that time which again reduces the risk of them being tempted elsewhere because if you're doing a great job it's just Mm. reinforcing the positive reasons why they are coming to join you so for example you could ask a senior member of the HR team to pick up the phone or arrange a welcome meeting that can Mm -hmm. be done again pre-start just the human interaction which I think is a theme running through all our episodes, actually, is the one that is often just disregarded. I think there has been too much movement to electronic communication, sort of sacrificing that human touch. And it's very difficult to be tempted if people are showing that they're genuinely interested in you and genuinely excited about you coming to to join them. Absolutely. And that's so true because actually you reminded me of um, just before one of the new roles I started, I was invited by the company pre-start date to go for lunch. And it it immediately made me understand the culture and it meant for my day one, I already had established some relationships with members of my team and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> so thank you, Fiona. Um, you have certainly provided some tangible guidance on this topic of managing risk of counter office. But just to, just before we finish, you're MD of FJ Wilson Talent Services. How do you support your clients in this area we've just discussed? So I think the you know, the key reason how we support our clients in this regard is making sure that we do have a two-way dialogue with all candidates before we actually submit their CVs. So the challenge, again, as a recruiter in that scenario, is if our clients' timelines are unrealistic from the point of engagement to the point of CV submittal, that would mean that we're not able to have those two-way dialogues. And that's why we would typically walk away from very short lead times. It doesn't make for good recruitment. And also, particularly in areas where there are short supply of candidates and the demand for those candidates is very high, it can just lead to issues and a waste of time and inefficiency for all parties, ultimately. So the key thing that we provided this two-way dialogue, we're very good at running 
a discovery session right. with those candidates to, as we've sort of chatted before, make sure that we, as best we can, understand the candidates' motivations from the beginning. And therefore, when we do encounter counter-offer situations, we're really able and equipped to help that candidate weigh the pros and cons up of the counter-offer. Because, of course, a candidate may feel very flattered that their mm. current employer values them and wants them to say. Mm. Um, but in reality, you know, the best response to a counter-offer is to continue having open and honest discussions with the candidate while drawing on their motivations for leaving in the first place. So we are, as the recruiter, best placed to do that and to also make sure that we're not having an emotive response to what is a very difficult situation, of course. Absolutely. And where can our listeners go to find out more about this? Um, as usual, they can visit our website, which is fjwilson.com, or phone us, of course, on 0203-195-3600. Excellent. Thank you, Fiona. And thank you to our listeners. And please do join us for our next episode of Recruitment in the Modern World. The music for this episode comes courtesy of the composer, Harry Chalmers. <laughs> <laughs>